we're going to be sharing with you about building a brighter future. And today is the first day. Today is the first official day of our Building a Brighter Future campaign. There's a lot that goes into this idea of building a brighter future. And we have some walls that have been started, some windows that are put in. Our windows are going to be a lot bigger than this. Our walls are going to be a lot taller than this. The blocks that we laid out in the foyer, there's going to be a whole lot more blocks to lay and a lot more metal studs to put up and a lot more electrical wire to run. But today is the beginning for us of this campaign. And I'm excited about it. And yet I honestly enter into it with a sense of anticipation at what God is going to do for us. This is not just about us and it's not about just here and now. This is about us taking a risk, not for us, but for the future, for somebody else. Somebody who you cannot see yet. This is not about the person who you see, the person who was here, the person who should be here. It's not about the empty pew now. It's about someone who you cannot see yet, but who God in his sovereignty recognizes. And he knows that one day, that one day they're going to come to him. God wants to use somebody. God looks around at the world around us and he sees the desperate need of people. And God wants to use somebody. And my question today is, will we at Lighthouse, will we be willing to say, God, you can use me. I'm going to make myself available to you. Lord, I know that in the last days you're going to pour out your spirit. And I wonder, God, will I make myself available? Can I say this to you? If you do not want to be used, he will not force himself upon you. But if you're willing, if you make yourself available, God will do the miraculous through you. Things that you say, it could not possibly happen. It could not possibly be done. God will do the miraculous through you. In the Bible, in the book of Joshua chapter 1, I want to talk to you today about betting the farm. Now, I am not, let me just make a, a disclaimer. I'm not suggesting that you guys all start going out to Vegas or Atlantic City. I'm not promoting that. I do not promote that. Don't promote the lottery. But there's a guy that we're going to hear about in a few moments. He leveraged his farm for something that he couldn't see. And I'm going to tell you that story in a few moments. But Joshua chapter 1 says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people, get ready. Underline that in your Bible. Get ready. Look to the person next to you and say, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to the Israelites. And let me just take a moment. The Jordan River. The Jordan River for generations had been an artificial barrier. It was an artificial barrier that kept the children of Israel out of their promised land. It was something that stood in the way of them and what God had promised to them, their destiny. Now, when we think about the Jordan River, a lot of us think of a mighty river like the Mississippi River. Or maybe you think about the Susquehanna River at flood state. That's a pretty good sized river. The Jordan River is about the size... If you've ever been down to Ernie's house, Ernie and Rhonda down in their field, the Conestoga River runs through their property. Many places in Israel, the Jordan River is no larger than the Conestoga River driving under Route 322. How many of you have ever been there? Up 322, Hinkletown, you see the Conestoga River. It runs underneath the bridge there. The Jordan River is no bigger than that. A ch- listen, a child could walk through many places of the Jordan River. I was at its headwaters, several places. There's three headwaters. The springs come out of the mountain there. And the water just comes out. The Jordan River is not some huge, mighty river, but it was a block. It was this, somehow in their minds, this river had become the artificial block between them and what God had destined for them. And God tells them, you guys get ready. How many of you think you could cross over the Conestoga River out here in down by Pool Forge? 
You think you could make it across? Everyone know where Pool Forge is? I think we can make it across there. And in the same way, the children of Israel, they had this block in there. And he says, I will give you every place where you've set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. And from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you. I want you to underline this next part. All the days of your life. All the days of your life. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Look to the person next to you and say, I think he's talking to you. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. If you're underlining your Bible, underline very. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Underline that one too. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan River here to go in and take possession. Underline possession. Take possession of the land your God is giving you for your own. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the children of Israel were probably at the most critical time in their history. Their obedience and faith at this moment was critical to them and future generations experiencing what God had intended for them. This wasn't just about Joshua. This wasn't just about his other cohorts who were with him. This was about future generations. And God needed Joshua to step up and take the lead at this moment in time. In the past, there were leaders who were in the place and they were supposed to step out and be obedient. But for some reason or another, they doubted and they held back. And because of that, a whole generation had to die off before God could take them into the promised land. What a warning to us today, a whole generation. But in his grace and mercy, God gives this generation another opportunity to capture what God had intended for them and future generations from long ago. This is a time, as before, when it would be easy. I want you to hear this. It would be easy to give in to fear. It would be easy to be overwhelmed by the obstacles. It'd be easy to be overwhelmed by the details. It would be easy to tell yourself it's okay to delay action. And one of the greatest things that the enemy does with God's people is he lulls us asleep and he gets us to delay action. Do you know that delayed obedience is still disobedience? And so he gets them to delay action. I want to ask you, how many things have you said about 20 years ago that someday you're going to get to that? Huh? How many things have you, have you made this promise to yourself? I'm gonna, and it's someday, but someday has not come yet. But to do any of these things, it, it would be easy to wait for a more opportune time. It would be easier to wait for whenever the stars line up and the planets line up and everything is perfect and conditions are perfect, then I'll act. But can I tell you this? If you wait for when things are perfect or when things line up, chances are you will never get around to doing what God has called you to do. Sometimes we got to step out whenever things aren't perfect. 
Sometimes we got to take some steps of faith whenever we can't see what all is there and and how it's all going to fall into place. But to do any of these things would be an insult to God. There are several things that God tells Joshua. The first thing, and I want you to notice these. The first thing that God tells Joshua is he tells Joshua that he will fulfill his promise. What was his promise? He says, I'm going to give you every place that your foot steps. Do you realize this? What God was saying to them, if you want to walk a little further, I'll give you that as well. If you want to believe me for a little more, I'll do that. But wherever your foot steps, I'm going to give you that as your inheritance. That was his promise to Abraham. The second thing, God says that he is going to expand your territory. God says, I'm going to enlarge your territory. And he says how far the limits of their territory will be were much further than what they expected. The third thing that he promises to him, God says, that no one will be able to stand against you. But notice the second part of what he says. All the days of your life. Sometimes you and I can have victories that are temporary. We can have times whenever we're the guy who's on the top. And no matter who you are, how tough you are, how good you are, eventually every dog has his day. Okay? Eventually, there comes a time when there's someone who's a little better or someone who's a little stronger or someone who's a little more talented than you are. But God says to Joshua, God promises to Joshua that no one will be able to stand against him all the days of his life. God's saying this victory is not going to be a temporary victory. I'm going to establish a permanent victory for you. Sometimes we see, we get a little scared because we see God blessing us or taking care of us for a period of time. And we say, well, what about six months from now? What about a year from now? And God says to Joshua, no one's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. The fourth thing that he says to Joshua is he promises his presence. God says, Joshua, when you step out, I'm going to be with you. I want to ask you something. Wherever God is, that's the place that you need to be. And if God is leading you to step out in faith, then you better step out in faith because you don't want to be where the Lord is not. I want to be right where he's at. I want to be right in the center. You know, the best place... If it's in the middle of Baghdad or Afghanistan, wherever it is, the best place in the world you can be is in the very center of God's will. And so God says, I'm going to be with you. And he gives him this promise. He says, I will never, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not just going to leave you out there and then drop you. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The second thing I want to talk to you about is what does God require of Joshua? Because, see, God makes covenant with his people, and typically a covenant or a promise, oftentimes there's two parts to that. What God says he'll do for you, but God was asking something from Joshua. In fact, he was requiring something from Joshua. The first thing that I see from those verses is God requires from Joshua strength and courage. He requires out of him. In fact, three times in four verses, God says these words to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Again, he says, be strong and courageous. What do you think he wanted Joshua to do? To be strong and courageous. Why would God tell Joshua to do something that he could not do? Evidently, Joshua had within him the ability to be strong and courageous. And you and I have within us the ability to be strong and courageous. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that in difficult times, God speaks those same words to us. Joe, be strong and courageous. Jim, be strong and courageous. Terry, be strong and courageous. The second thing, what does God require of Joshua? He requires obedience and action. Two times in four verses, he says to him, be careful. Be careful to obey and be careful to do. To do what? All that I have commanded you. He says, be careful to obey, 
and be careful to do all that I've commanded you. The third thing that I see there in those portions of scripture is that God requires of Joshua and he requires of us is a refusal to submit to terror. God speaks to him and says, do not be terrified. And do you ever notice that the enemy loves to bring terror in our lives? God calls you to do something. God speaks to you to do something. And what's the first thing that comes into our mind? Doubt. Well, what if this doesn't work? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't go right? What if this falls apart? If it does, the same God who was there before will be there with you in that time. How many of you have faced a trial in your life or two? All of you who've raised your hands, I see it did not kill you. (laughs) You're still here. So you know what? The same God who brought you through that trial will bring you through the next one. The same God who delivered you. And that was the thing. David, the difference between warriors and people who are victorious and people who God promotes are people who are like David who say, I remember the time I faced the lion and I remember the time that I faced the bear. And the same God that delivered them into my hands will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine is in my hands. So who is he to say anything against my God? There's a huge difference between that and the guy who says, well, yeah, this is really rough. Oh, gosh. I remember the time I fought the bear. Oh, man. I remember a time I had that lion incident. Well, if you remember the time you had the lion incident, evidently God delivered you. Okay? I remember that time I had the lion incident. I don't know if I want to go through another giant. Oh, boy. Well, if you're alive and can remember it, evidently God brought you through. Okay? We need to have that same spirit that was in David who said, I remember what God did in the past. And I know that that's just preparation for what he has for my future. The fourth thing that he requires of Joshua is a refusal to surrender his courage. And one of the greatest attacks that the enemy can bring upon God's people is that attack of discouragement. He wants to steal away your courage. And he'll use anybody and anyone who he can to bring discouragement into the lives of his people. Because see, if if the enemy can't trip us up by having to steal money or chase women or going out and getting partying and getting high and, and stuff, he loves to bring discouragement into our lives and have people who God has called and who God has anointed, who God has empowered and God has put his hand upon them. He loves them to take their hand and take it away from the plow and walk away. My friend, that happens more than you and I know. Men and women who are called by God to serve him and to do his will and to do his work. Someone called to minister to teenagers or youth or someone who's called to minister to other men or women or marriages or minister to the hungry or the poor and they get discouraged in the midst of the battle and they walk away. The enemy doesn't have to cause them to fall into sin. If he can just discourage them, he causes them to be ineffective for the kingdom of God. God wanted Joshua and the people to step out in faith and to take possession of the land that he had already given to him. You know, there's some things that are done in the spirit and they're already done. They're already established in the spirit. As far as God's concerned, they are done. It's finished. But he requires something of us He requires us to step out in faith. And when we step out in faith, it's almost like what God says and our response to what God says releases that and allows it to come to pass. Almost like, I know it sounds goofy, but a gun. God requires us to pull the trigger. There's things where he requires us to push the button. He requires us to turn the key. That's what faith is. When we step out, we're turning the key. A lot of us are sitting in the car and we're sitting there and the key's been turned and we're sitting there and we're pushing on the gas, but God requires us, faith requires us to put it into gear. Do you know what I'm saying? There's things that God has already done, it's already been established, and and he had already said what he was going to do for the people, but he required of them that they step out in faith. To do this would require strength and courage, obedience and faith, obedience and action, faith and trust. They would have to take some risks before they saw the rewards. But isn't that true of all people who desire to do the will of God? Don't you have to take some risk 
before you see the rewards. Has anyone here ever heard of Grable and Mary Landis? Some people who are in the first service. Most of you haven't. Let me tell you something. That's the way it is with most of the people who do great things for God. Most of the people who do great things for God, you'll never know their name. Isn't that crazy? Most of the people who are the ones who are the catalyst, it's their faith, it's their obedience that God uses. Most of those people, the vast majority of the world will never know their names, but heaven knows their names. God knows their names. And the funny thing is those people, their names come up again and again before the throne of God. Again and again, the ministries, the things that they have done, echoes in heaven. Let me share with you a video by a young lady whose life has been impacted by Grable and Mary Landis. And then I'll come back and talk to you a little bit more about this. I was six. I had a babysitter. It was about three times a week it would happen for three years. Um, Three years of abuse, sexual abuse. She's had a really tough childhood. I think because it happened for so many years of my childhood, I thought whenever it happened, I thought for so long that it was normal. Charity and pain is distracted. She doesn't cry much, but occasionally she does cry, and then you know things are really, really bad. The darkest time of mine was, um, I think a little over a year ago, I was admitted to Phil Haven um, for inpatient because I tried to um, hang myself um, a couple times. I felt honored that she was able to talk to me about it, that she was able to open up and that we could begin to kind of move forward through some of the depression and the anxiety that she's experienced due to the sexual abuse. Because of Erica, I can definitely set boundaries and um, I definitely have more strength than I did. I don't let people walk all over me anymore. If it wasn't for Phil Haven and everything, I definitely think I would not be here. If you think about it as this was three years of my life and I'm probably going to live to the age of 85. As you get older and older, you can either let that three years shrink and it becomes the size that it should be, or it can continue to be your entire universe. And I don't see Charity as somebody who's going to continue letting that be her entire universe. She's going to appropriately shrink it and let it take its place in her life as she moves on and builds a better future for herself. That last phrase that she said, as she builds a better future for herself. I've shared with you the past few messages. We talked to you about our focus being upon eternal things. We've talked with you about exchanging things that won't last for things that will. We talked with you about how we can exchange those things that aren't going to last for something that will and how your heart, your heart follows your treasure. Treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. During World War II, there were many of the Mennonites, because during World War II they were conscientious objectors because of their religious beliefs, they would serve, instead of serving in the military, they would serve in places like state hospitals, um, sanitariums, mental institutions at the time. And during this time, many of these folks saw the deplorable conditions of the state mental hospitals, and they wanted to do something from a Christ-centered perspective that would help people who were hurting or who were struggling. In the late 1940s, a group of people got together and they formed a board and they tried to do just that. They had a vision and they said, we want to do something. We look at these conditions and the ways that people are suffering in the state institutions and we see that it's not effective and we see it's, there's something more that's needed. What can we do? And they got together and they said, we think we can do something about it. So they formed this board and they'd worked for several years unsuccessfully trying to secure land that would allow them to begin a process of creating an alternative to the inhumane conditions of the state institutions. On April 14th, 1949, listen how long ago it was. 
It was April 14th, 1949. Did you see that little girl? She's there because she tried to hang herself. As a mom and dad, what do you do when your little girl's been sexually abused and she's going to hang herself? Where on earth do you turn? Where do you go for help when your family is hurting in that way? There were some people who had a vision years ago for just that. On April 14th, with the group on the verge of giving up their vision, the leadership of the board was approached by Grable and Mary Landis, two people who most of us have never heard of. And they felt compelled by God that God had spoken to their hearts that they were to donate their 167-acre farm in Lebanon County for the building of a mental hospital. Now, they did not have the money to build the hospital. They didn't have the money to provide the psychiatrist and the doctors and the staff. They didn't have that. All they had is that they knew that God wanted them to donate their farm to this project. When George Zizet, he was the founding board president, he stood up later that day to this large gathering at the Mellinger Mennonite Church, and his wife noted that he was very pale, and his hands were shaking so much that he could hardly hold the paper, and he announced to the people that they had their farm, and they had the land on which they were going to build their hospital. Imagine his relief on the verge of giving up. The board received this generous offer from Grable Landis as an answer to prayer. They write, had Grable not made this gift, it's highly unlikely that Philhaven would exist today. Today, Philhaven has 54 different programs that they run. They have 20 locations and a staff of more than 1,000 people. Every day, Philhaven staff and programs provide services to an average of 950 persons. This added up to almost 29,000 people who were served last year. People who were individuals just like charity. Could this group of visionaries ever have dreamed what a great ministry Phil Haven would have been? Could Grable and Mary, could they have ever imagined... That one day, 63 years later, after they're dead and gone. They're dead. They're gone. Most people don't even know their name. But after they're dead and gone, 63 years later, a little girl like Charity would find hope. And find out she doesn't need to hang herself. Could they have ever imagined what a difference in the lives of people their sacrifice would make? God doesn't show us in advance. And I wish he would. I was telling him in the back where God told me to give $20 when I was in college. And the time that I gave that, I've told you the story a dozen times. The day that I gave it, $20, an hour later, the board members of the Job Man Trust Fund were meeting. I've done nothing for them. All I did was fill out an application. They were meeting an hour and a half after I put my $20 in an envelope and gave it. And they paid over half of my college all four years. I was able to graduate from college completely debt-free. Can you imagine that? But God was testing me. Listen, he was testing me an hour before about giving my $20 to some woman who I didn't know. Who I, She probably needed deodorant. She was an older student. She probably needed deodorant and maybe some money, gas in her car. And God was impressing on me, Steve, you got to give this to her today. You've got to give this to her tonight. Why? Because an hour and a half later, there was going to be a meeting, and they were going to decide about paying off, in essence, paying half of my college bill. I had no way of knowing that. I had absolutely no way. Grable had no way, and Mary had no way of knowing all of the people, the 29,000 people this year that their sacrifice made. They had no way of knowing that other people would sacrifice to build buildings, that wealthy people would give large donations. All they knew is that God was putting on their heart that they needed to bet the farm. I'm sure on this side, as they look back, I bet you they're glad they bet the farm. I believe in heaven as they look down and, and as they see, 
as they see the lives that are touched and transformed, the thousands of people each year who find hope. I bet you on this side, it's not much of a, it's not much of a wager. On this side, they could probably see and say, how could I have ever not been a part of that? Missionary Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Thou- Listen to me. Thousands of people a year receiving help and hope that's gone on long after they're dead. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, chapter 8, and he's asking them for help in this large undertaking. The believers in Jerusalem are suffering greatly due to financial hardship. And Paul has seen the need and he felt compelled by God to do something to meet the need. I want you to listen to how he describes the Macedonian churches. He's writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking about the Macedonian churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And he says this, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. Everybody say grace. About the grace. See, because it's grace that enabled them to do it. It's grace that enabled Grable and Mary to do what they did. About the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of great success, in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of a great financial windfall. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. It says this. In the midst of the best days of their lives. That's not what it says. It says in the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. That doesn't make sense. Overflowing joy, trial, poverty, generosity. Their extreme poverty wound up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. In fact, he says, they urgently pleaded with us. He said they begged us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Let me take a quick break and we're going to come back to that. As I look back over the church, and I look back over our history, it's been really cool to see how God has provided what we needed along the way. And now, I know that there's some of you who you look around and you say, well, Pastor, I'm going to answer some of your questions before you even ask them. Pastor, have you seen, have you seen how the economy is? Yeah, yeah, I have. Have you seen that there's some people who don't have jobs? Yeah. Have you seen what the numbers are? You're saying like two point some million dollars. Yep. I've seen them. (laughs) I've looked them over. That's a lot for a church our size. Yep. Yep. Have you seen that most of the people in our church are, as far as I know, most of them are ordinary working people. Yep. I've seen it. Have you seen that? I don't know if there's anybody here who has a, like a few million stocked away that like some pastors have like sugar daddy parishioners. It's true. They got the sugar daddy parishioner who they take him out to lunch and they say to him, you know, um, I want to share with you the vision and Bob writes out. I talked to a pastor one time. He told me about a guy in his church wrote out a check for their building fund for $8 million. One guy, one guy. Eight million bucks. He took him out to lunch and told him about the vision, and the guy wrote out a check for eight million bucks. I don't don't know if anyone's here like that. If you are, (laughs) I'll buy breakfast. (laughs) All week. (laughs) I understand the obstacles. The day we dedicate the building. And the day it's full, you're going to look back. And this is what you're going to say. God did that. It wasn't a committee that did it. It wasn't a committee. 
it wasn't a pastor. Because I'm just telling you, it's already bigger. It's already bigger than our committee. And it's bigger than your pastor. And it's bigger than my checkbook or your checkbook. So whenever this is accomplished, this is what we're going to say. The glory goes to God. Because he's the one who did it. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. God will use us, but he's the one who accomplished the work. So from the very beginning, we're already going to say, pastor didn't do this. He don't deserve any credit. Committees didn't do this. They don't deserve any credit. God will get all of the glory because he's going to be the one who provides that. He's going to be the one who brings that to pass. I was thinking about my buddy Jim Nagel back there years ago. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like when we have vision, the building was, it was a barn. We were a tobacco shed. And I remember we wanted to do something about the front of the building. And I've seen this again and again with Lighthouse. We wanted to do something about the front of the building. You know, some people said, well, we should put, those windows are leaking. We should put siding on where those windows are and we'll put windows in there. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this is terrible. There's no way I want to put siding around the windows. I wanted something a little different than this on the front of our building. You know, they're like, well, we could put siding and think of all the energy it would save. And I was thinking, oh, goodness gracious. You know, we're going to have like windows that come open like this or come open like this. And I was like, ah. And so we started talking about it, about what we, and I started thinking, I want to have new windows on there, but I don't know what to get or how to make them look right. And about a week or two later, Jim Nagel comes walking into church. He starts attending the church. In a very short period of time, Jim said to me, well, pastor, I sell windows and doors. I can hook you up. And Jim saved us thousands. I'm sure we paid less than half of what it would have cost us to get those buildings. But, but God sent Jim just at the right time, and not just those windows. The back hallway, the building was so dark because we had, by the bathroom, we had solid steel doors. And so you would walk down the halls, and it would be like pitch darkness. You know, Jim said, I know what we can get. We can get you a door like this, and this one will stay stationary. God sent the people who we needed just at that time, but first we had to have vision. God's told me before, I'm not going to waste my resources. If you don't have a big enough vision, I'm not going to give you what you need. I believe this. I believe that God is going to send us during this process. God is going to send us what we need, who we need. He's going to provide the resources that are necessary for us as a church to be able to accomplish. Now, I just want to say this. I think there's people, I'm telling you, I've believed this for a long time. I think there's people who, remember last week, I asked you, can I borrow your vessel? You remember that? The woman with Elijah the prophet, and he said, go and borrow the vessels and bring them in and shut the door. And then God filled those vessels. And I asked you last week, can I borrow your vessel? So I believe this. I believe it. I'm just going to tell you straight out. I believe there's people who are going to start businesses. God's going to cause you to succeed in your business. That's going to be his vessel. There's people who your job is sales or you have the potential. Your income is controlled by what you sell on that type of basis. God's going to multiply what you sell. God is going to accomplish his purposes and his plans. But what he asked for is he asked for people who will say, I'll offer my vessel to you, God. Here's what you can, you know, as we were praying for people during the first service, what I sensed was this. I sensed there was people who would say in the first service, who would have, they would say, I don't have hardly enough strength to do it on my own, but, or what I need, but I sensed that it wasn't what they had, is would they be a channel? Would they be a vessel that God could flow through? Would they make themselves available to God? They may say, well, pastor, I don't have enough strength, but I could just see people being like a, the only thing I could think of is a pipeline. And they would be a pipeline that God would flow through them. And here's the thing. God was going to meet their needs. And they didn't have to do whatever it was, but God was going to flow through them. I really believe with all my heart that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see people who God is going to flow through, and we're going to see God accomplishing things that are impossible for any one of us. But just like Jim came at the right time, When we built the back building, redid that. I said, Jim, I need some doors. There were our doors. Throughout our history, again and again, God's provided for us. So this is simply 
just another step of faith that he provide for. I remember the day that I told the Lord, we had a guy who was, who, we, we bought drums. I told you this story. And God told me, there was a young man who, who wanted to play drums in the church, but he wasn't living right. And I knew I couldn't let him play drums and be up in front of people if he's not living right. But I said, you know, God, we spent $700. Back then, that was a ton of money. We spent 700 bucks for a used set of drums. How can I let them sit there with nobody playing? And God said to me, Steve, if you'll do it my way, I'll give you a drummer who's here every service. This guy would have come like most Sunday mornings. I'll give you a drummer who's here every service. And I just remember thinking, I don't know even if there's a drummer out there who loves Jesus. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I remember thinking, I don't know if that's possible, God. And I said, okay, God, no. And I said, no, he can't do that. We're not going to defile God's holy worship with someone who's living like the devil. I will not allow that in God's house. And took that stand. And a couple, I mean, a week or two later, here comes Karen and Howard and Brian and Pam. They threw in a saxophone player with it. (laughs) Why? Because I was willing to take a step of faith. Because I was willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to step out. I can't play. I just believe with all my heart as we take these steps of faith, God's going to do the miraculous. As we take these steps of faith and, and we say, well, Paul, so Paul writes this affluent church. And listen, Corinth is an affluent church. It's like the church where everything's happening. Okay? Like the spirits moving there. Now, they're a bunch of carnal people. But like if you'd go to their service, the band would be pulsing, the lights flash. It would be awesome. They are a city church. Everybody knows about them. Everybody's heard about them. Corinth is a metropolis, okay? These are wealthy people in Corinth. And Paul speaks to them, and he tells them, he says, there's these Macedonian believers who when they heard about the need, they begged for the privilege of helping in the Lord's work. These people were not rich. In fact, they gave out of their need. Paul says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, the first official, because right now is when we kick off the campaign. Right now. The first official offering that we're going to receive will not be measured in dollars and cents. It will not be deposited in Susquehanna Bank, nor will you get a charitable contribution deduction for the Internal Revenue Service. Our first offering as we begin this endeavor as a church is to offer ourselves to the Lord. That's what the Macedonian churches did. They offered themselves first to God And this morning, before you write out your checks, before you sign commitment cards, pledges, I want to ask you this. Last week, I asked if I could borrow your vessel. And now I want to ask you, can God use you? Will you offer yourself to him? I'm asking you, will you make yourself available That God, you can just use me. I'm not going to tell you how to use me. I don't know how God is going to use you. And I don't know, it may have nothing to do with our Building a Brighter Future campaign. But can I ask you today, are you here today and you would be willing? You say, I don't want to be like the Corinthian church. Like I had to prod them. I want to be like the Macedonian church who says, God, today, I'm going to first of all, before I give anything, I want to give myself to you. I want to offer myself that whatever you want, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I don't know how it's going to end. But I think just maybe you might have some plans for me like you had for Grable and Mary. I think there's some things that you want me to do in your kingdom that's going to last Long after I'm gone, I'm willing to yield my life and trust that you'll do something great 
I'm not going to tell you what it has to be. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to look. But I want to offer myself to you. And I just want to say, God, I want you to use me. Now, if that's you today, I hope it's every one of us. If you want to say to God, Lord, I want to be like the Macedonian church. Before I give anything else, I just want to offer myself to you. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do through me. But I want to make myself available to you. Can I just get you just to stand up where you're at? If you just want to say, God, I want to make myself available to you. And I want you to make your way to the front. And I want you to line up across the front here. I want you to squeeze in, get up close to somebody, put your arm around somebody, figure your way in, make sure we line up here. Squeeze on in. Hallelujah. Do you realize there were 120 people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and they changed the world? Do you realize the potential that lies in a room like this where people who will honestly say, God, I'm laying myself on this altar today and I'm offering my life to you. Before I give anything, before I make any commitment, the first commitment that I'm going to make is I'm going to offer myself to you and I'm going to ask you, Lord, would you use me? Just in your own way, can we just take a moment and can you just ask the Lord, just ask him to give you a vision of how he could use you. I believe this. I believe that things are going to flash before your eyes. As we pray, I believe that God's going to just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and just ask him, Lord, I ask you to use me. Hallelujah. Just in your own way, just you pray into the Lord. We're going to take a moment. Now multiply that times 10. Times 10 cannot compare to the plans that God has for you. The desire that you have for God to use you pales in comparison for the plans that God has for your life. Plans that will long outlast you. Grable and Mary, when they took that huge step of betting their farm. Because they weren't sure that it was going to work out. They weren't sure if the other resources were going to come in. They weren't sure if this thing could even work. They had no idea what God wanted to do through them. And 63 years later, their obedience is still touching thousands of people every day. Not just those individuals that they counsel or serve, but their families. The ripple effects goes far beyond. And may I say to you today that the plans that God has for you, my friend, are much greater than what you can comprehend or believe. And what God is looking for today is he's looking for some folks who will say, God, I will be a vessel that you can work through. You don't have to tell God what he's going to do through you or for you. You don't have to tell him the way he's going to do it. But you would simply say, today as you stepped out, you're saying, God, I'm making myself available for you to use. And so, God, I pray across this congregation. I pray that as these men and women have stepped out and they've said, God, I'm asking you to use me. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to open up doors for them. I pray that you'd begin to move upon their hearts. I pray that you'd begin to wake them up in the middle of the night, giving them dreams and visions. I pray that the Holy Spirit would flow through them. And I pray that they would see, God, you literally doing those things that are supernatural in and through their lives. Lord, what will you do? What will you do? What will you do with a vessel? That young boy, some, and there's some folks here today who say, well, pastor, or even say to you, God, I don't know what I have to offer. I don't feel like it's significant. I don't feel like it's enough. God, I pray that you would show them, just like that boy offered his lunch to you and you fed 5,000, you will take what they offer to you and you will multiply it and it will touch thousands of lives. But Lord, I just sense it. This is an altar of sacrifice. This is one of those places where Abraham offering Isaac, that's what this is for us. Here's the other thing. For some people, God's testing you before he can trust you. You're being tested before you can be trusted. And there's some things that he's going to be asking of you. And as you step out and as you're obedient in faith, 
then he will trust you with other ministries, with other things, with other opportunities. But he's going to test you first into things that are small. So don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. As you be obedient to the voice of God. As you are obedient to the voice of God, my friend, God is going to do miracles through your life and you're going to have a sense of satisfaction and significance that you've not had in a long time. Now, Father, I pray that as we stand here before you, we've gathered in this place and we've asked you, Lord, that you would use us. Standing before you collectively, we've asked you, God, take my life, take my dreams, take my goals, take my visions, take the things that I feel like, God, the things I feel like you've given to me, Lord, I lay them here on this altar. And I'm not going to tell you how you got to do it, Lord. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do with my life. Again, I've been doing that for a long time. I want to offer myself to you. I want to say, God, use me as you see fit. Your will be done in my life. And I pray for my friends. I pray that your will would be done in their lives. And God, I know it's so much bigger than any building. Oh, Lord, it's so much bigger than just lighthouse. It's so much bigger than the things that we can see. Those things that seem so big today. God, it's so much bigger than that. So, Lord, I pray that we, that we would offer ourselves today to you first of all. Receive us, Lord. Take our lives and do something significant in and through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you something. Honestly, if you prayed that from your bottom of your heart, what you're going to find is God opens up doors for you that no man can open. And God uses you in ways that you never thought. There's things that we think, oh, here's the limit of what God can do. And what you're going to do is you're going to find that you're going to reach that limit so fast. When you really yield yourself to him, you're going to hit that limit so fast. And God's going to expand your borders There's going to be a day whenever we're saying like, Pastor, could you believe that God would do this in my life? But whenever we step out in faith, that's what he does. He does the supernatural. And this isn't just for us. This is for all those. Can you imagine in heaven whenever Grable and his wife looks down and see that little girl who is wanting to kill herself and know that because of them, she's got a reason to live now and that her mom and dad that they have hope and that she's got a better future. She's building a better future. That's what we're doing. We're building a brighter future, not just for us, but for a lot of people who don't even know Jesus. We're going to build a brighter future for those in our community and those around us, and it's going to go far beyond New Holland or Lancaster County. God's going to raise up people from here who touch the world, and that's some of our young people. God's going to send them out. It's going to be sad to see them go, but God's going to send them out and use them in powerful ways. And you know what? You are going to be a part of that.